Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, wow, we together have written 35 cookbooks, including Grain Mains, the only cookbook that I know of that treats whole grains as the center of main courses. It's mm. kind of a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate ice cream book, the first book we ever published, the ultimate ice cream book in 99. There are over half a million copies in print. And still selling. And it is still going strong. It's not a modern cookbook. It's not all beautifully photographed, but it's got a ton of recipes in it and a ton of variations on all those recipes. Check out the ultimate ice cream book for this summer this show is not about grains nor is it about ice cream well maybe a little it's about mayonnaise uh, mayonnaise is like ice cream no, it right scares me oh, this, show, this show scared me come on ice mayonnaise is like ice cream because you eat it on a spoon ew, ew, ew. <laughs> until until recently mayonnaise was one of those things that i could not stop Oh, come on. It's a trope. It's a trip. You were just following in the line of all your ancestors and all your new... Jews don't eat mayonnaise. Yeah. That's not true. My grandmother <laughs> used mayonnaise in coleslaw all the time. Mayonnaise was... This my sister say. loves mayonnaise right out of the jar on a spoon. I thought it was disgusting. What now, do you think Russian dressing is made out of? That I never ate it because it was mayonnaise. And I have learned to tolerate it and even enjoy chicken salad and tuna salad now made with mayonnaise. But I will never, ever put unadulterated, unmixed up plain mayonnaise on anything like a sandwich well, or a burger. Listen, that's I, disgusting. I come from a German immigrant family and my mother, oh, she is insistent on what goes on a hamburger. If I put anything on a hamburger, oh, mayonnaise or ketchup or anything besides mustard, she gives me this look and says, I raised you better than that. So... <laughs> I know that mayonnaise is not the most popular thing, but I have to tell you, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I eat hamburgers with mayonnaise and kimchi. That is my go-to hamburger condiment source. I approve of the kimchi part. uh, I love mayonnaise. And yes, I have eaten it on a spoon right out of the jar. Yes, I am not proud. I can say that. So let's start out with what mayonnaise is. What is it? Emulsified oil. (laughs) Basically, what does that mean? That means you take oil and you mix egg yolk into it on its most basic level before we add any flavorings or anything else. Basic mayonnaise is oil and an egg yolk word up together until it is a thick, creamy, emulsified mess. In other words, you trap air in it. You create an emulsion that has got all this fat that has trapped a ton of air inside of it, which is why it is all, what, puffed up when you make it. It's why it looks the way it does. It's really actually a great deal of air in there. Mm, great deal of fat. It's just grease. It's just basically a <laughs> grease jar and of air. grease. Mm. Mm. What, mm. what could be better? Listen, grease is the stuff of life and you have to have air to breathe, so it's grease and air. So let it alone. Did you know that you can cook with mayo? Well, that makes perfect sense because since it is nothing but emulsified fat, it is great to cook with and my favorite way to cook with it, and I'm not talking about mixing it into salads here. I love to spread it on the outside of bread when I make grilled sandwiches, whether that's a grilled cheese or a Reuben or any kind of grilled sandwich, yep. and then it could either go in the frying pan or even in the air fryer. The mayonnaise melts 
into the bread, soaks it in evenly, fries up crisp, and it does if, make the best. If you have an sandwiches. air fryer, um, it is the best thing to do, even for grilled cheese sandwiches. But any kind of sandwich you want to put in the air fryer and make super crunchy, as Bruce says, you thin and it, you spread a thin, and I mean not a lot. Yeah, you otherwise sp- it's going to be greasy. Yeah, you spread a thin coating on the outside of the bread mm-hmm. on both sides of the sandwich and stick it in the air fryer, mm-hmm. and it gets super crunchy. It makes great patty melts, great Rubens, great hot pastrami sandwiches, great grilled cheese. I know, hot pastrami and mayonnaise. Who knew? But you really, it's not as if you're eating mayonnaise. Woody Allen is turning over in his soon-to-be grave. Oh, yeah, well, he's turning over somewhere. (laughs) But um, it makes great sandwiches because it makes the bread super crunchy. I grew up, of course, eating mayonnaise chocolate cake because it's a southern thing. Well, explain it. Um, You add mayonnaise to, to chocolate cakes, basically replacing some, sometimes all, but some of the eggs and the fat. Mm-hmm. Um, usually mayonnaise cakes include another fat of some sort in them. Usually the way my grandmother made them was with oil. They are chocolate cakes. Oh, I don't, I've never seen a mayonnaise cake that's not chocolate, although I'm sure there are such things. I think that's because the chocolate is powerful enough to overwhelm <laughs> the, the taste of the mayonnaise. That's what I think. But they do make super moist cakes. I, there's that word that everybody loves so much. Moist. moist. There's that word. But they do. The ca- case. I, I have to tell you that I have never thought that the crumb on a mayonnaise cake is great. I've always thought it's kind of okay, at least the ones my grandmother made. But it is a southern tradition, the mayonnaise cake. And mm-hmm. I think it probably has to do with economics because man, you you use – I don't know I'm saying this economics, but I'm thinking about it. My grandmother used her own eggs. And also maybe it's not economics. Maybe it's just weirdness. Um, anyway – Mayonnaise chocolate cakes. It's a thing. Trust me. You can look up a thousand recipes. Look up people doing this on YouTube. You'll see mayonnaise chocolate cakes. And I know Mark likes to put mayonnaise on his burger, mm-hmm. but did you know you could put mayonnaise in your burger? Mm-hmm. So if you mix one tablespoon of mayonnaise into every pound of ground beef, mm-hmm. you're going to add a little more fat. Mm-hmm. And because it's emulsified, you can mix it in evenly mm-hmm. and smoothly. Mm-hmm. It adds both moisture and flavor, and it keeps them from drying out. It's that old thing of people who used to cut butter. I don't know if anyone still does this. Cut butter into ground beef for hamburgers. They're not kosher. But, no, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, but it's the same idea. You're adding fat to ground beef as if ground beef needs fat but you're adding fat to it to retain a lot of the moisture and you know mayonnaise actually can make a really good grill mop you need to thin it out with a great deal of lime juice or lemon juice and some spices like a barbecue spice Mm. rub or an italian spice rub or a cajun spice rub and you don't want to go heavy on this and you want to go late right in the game otherwise you're going to have lots of fire because remember you're just putting grease on it Right. So it's going to be shooting up flames and give you a nice char, but do it late in the game. And you can go to the Hellman's website, you know, Hellman's Mayonnaise. They have lots of recipes. And I saw one there for mayo-based pancakes where you mix wow. your flour, sugar, wow. baking powder, and then you beat mayonnaise with milk and you wow. mix that in. I'm so, not sure. And then you griddle it as usual. And it was like, wow, okay. That sounds wild. I may, you know, I do love mayonnaise. Maybe I'll have to make mayonnaise pancakes and then put mayonnaise on them. <laughs> and with, then put them in the air fryer. So you have, you have pancakes as a burger 
bun <laughs> coated with mayonnaise and cheese and patty melt in the air fryer. Okay, even I'm starting to gag on mayonnaise. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could deal with mayonnaise pancakes. And I don't know why I couldn't deal with them. I bet if you served them to me and you didn't say a word about that there's mayonnaise in these and I, you know, buttered them and syruped them like I usually do pancakes, I probably would think that they were fabulous. It's the idea in my head <laughs> that makes it kind of like, ugh, what? But I love mayonnaise chocolate cakes and I love mayonnaise anyway, as I said on a spoon. So I love it anyway. So, you know, I don't know. Well, okay. So chef, tell us if I wanted to make my own mayonnaise, how do I go about doing that? So here's the way I make it. I take one cup of oil and I like a plain, I like to just use canola oil or sunflower oil, something without too much flavor because you want, this is the base, right? You don't want the the oil to be the flavor here. So one cup of oil and one whole egg, one size egg. Notice the writer here. A large egg. Ah, there you go. And a teaspoon of salt. What kind of salt? Table salt, kosher salt, Malden salt, name the salt. No, you don't want a big crunchy salt. So either kosher salt or table salt, either will do. Okay. And so you're going to put the oil, the egg, and the salt are the must-haves. Now, the following are all optional, and you can use any or all. These are extra flavorings, a teaspoon of sugar, a teaspoon of Dijon mustard, a teaspoon of garlic, a teaspoon of Worcestershire, a teaspoon of horseradish, a teaspoon of pepper or hot pepper sauce. You can use any or all of those. So I could with, put sriracha in there? You could, mm. with your egg, oil, and salt. I put all of that in a two-cup measuring cup. I have a nice, tall plastic. I also have a Pyrex one. I plunge my stick blender down to the bottom. Then I turn it on and lift it up slowly. And as I bring it up, the mayonnaise magically happens on the bottom. And by the time I get to the top of it, I have a little pot of mayonnaise. And you're talking about here a tall vessel. It's not a two-cup measuring cup like you would use to dip flour in the United States, right? You're talking here a tall Yeah, a liquid, a liquid measuring cup, not a dry measuring cup. Okay, There's right. Because you, you notice he stuck his stick blender in there, turned it on, and then slowly lifted it up. Really, it takes about what? It takes, it takes about 30 th- seconds to yeah. really do it right and bring it up slowly enough. And the whole thing gets emulsified, and that is it. And the reason you use a two-cup is so that there's room for the mayonnaise to expand, there's room for it to rise up when your stick blender's stuck in there. Remember, and air emulsification, you're adding tons of air. That's mm-hmm. what you're doing. And you can use that any way that you would use store-bought mayonnaise. Oh, it's so great. Before we get to the next segment of this podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, let me ask you to please think about subscribing to this podcast and drop a rating. That would be fantastic wherever you are. We see a lot of people come through Apple Podcasts. Oh, we need about 85% of our listeners come through Apple Podcasts. If you drop down at the bottom of the Apple menu, you can see a way to leave a comment and a rating. That would be most appreciated by us. Thank you very much for taking that effort. So on to the next segment. Our one-minute cooking tip. We do this every episode of the podcast. We give a cooking tip for one minute. And what is it today? Do not microwave frozen bread before you toast. Why not? Toasting bread is between your bread and your toaster. And your microwave should not be involved in this activity. Nope. Nope. Microwave bread gets gummy, it yep. steams, it gets gross, yep. and even after you toast it, it doesn't have the same texture. So if you're lucky enough, your toaster may have a button that says frozen. Hit that button. What that does is it slightly lowers the temperature but expands the time, which lets the bread thaw and toast beautifully. You don't have a frozen button? 
then put your toast in at a slightly lighter number, not as dark as you normally would, and let it go. Let it come up, then let it sit about a minute or two to really thaw all the way through, and then give it another run through the toaster. Yeah, I now I have to tell you that I eat a lot of whole grain toast, and I'm the nine grain and 500 grain and nine million grain toast guy. The more grains and seeds and nuts in it, the better for me. So uh, I eat a lot of this whole grain stuff, and I keep it in the freezer because unfortunately whole grain breads like that and you know nine grain breads go rancid really mm-hmm. quickly because of all of the grains that are in there so i keep them in the freezer so i eat toast a lot many mornings i take a slice out of the freezer from the bag and i drop it in the toaster and uh, i let the toaster do the work for me and i never let it go near a microwave because bruce is right it gets so gummy it's disgusting mm-hmm. so your toaster and your bread are the only things that should be involved in toasting frozen bread. Up next, Bruce's interview with Kathy Barrow, the author of many cookbooks, but her latest, Bagels, Schmears, and a Nice Piece of Fish. I, I feel that I'm back in living in Manhattan again, a nice piece of fish who doesn't want such a thing in their life along with bagels. Okay, Bruce, let's hear the interview with Kathy Barrow. So excited today. I'm speaking with award-winning cookbook author, Kathy Barrow, and she has a brand new book out called Bagels, Schmears, and a Nice Piece of Fish. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining me. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks so much. So I imagine a lot of people would ask, why make your own bagels? I mean, they can be a lot of work. So I'm going to ask the expert, why make your own bagels? I think the first part comes from um, possibly living in a bagel desert. There are a lot of bagel deserts in America, in fact, around the world. But it also, there's just nothing like pulling warm bagels out of your own oven. The smell, the uh, crackle on the outside of the crust. And it's, it's really easy. I mean, the first time there are some things to learn, but after that, you just get better and better. So Mark and I did an episode a few weeks back on bagel wars, and we argued between us what's better, New York or Montreal bagels. So what's the difference and what's your opinion? Well, I'm totally Switzerland on this. Let's just start there. Um, uh, The difference is a New York bagel is a little bit puffier, more crackly on the outside. It has more tang than sweet. Um, and a Montreal bagel, traditionally cooked in a wood oven, has that wood smoke kind of quality to it. But because it uses a different kind of flour with a lower protein content, tends to be uh, more tender and a little bit sweeter and kind of homely. You know, a little lumpy, not quite so big and puffy and shiny like New York. So you say that there's less gluten in the flour that they use in Montreal. Let's talk about gluten for a second. How important is gluten in a bagel? I like to talk about the protein level in flours because the protein level contributes to your ability to build the gluten strands that make for that chew. The chew that you recognize in pizza crust and in bagels is consistent, it's using a high protein flour or a high gluten flour. And a high protein flour is going to have over 14% protein, whereas an all-purpose flour has more like 10.5%. So that extra protein gives you this 
strength that gives you the tear, the chew, all the things we love in a bagel. So if you don't live in a place where you can find that flour, um, what can we do to up the gluten content of our regular flour? For many years, there's been a product sold to hippies called Vital Wheat Gluten. It's, uh, and it builds gluten and protein in your all-purpose flour. It's just the easiest thing in the world. You will find it on the shelf. You don't know it's there because you've never looked for it before. But Bob's Red Mill, Hudgens Mill, all sell it for a very reasonable amount for a, a pretty substantial bag. And it's like two tablespoons in a cup of all-purpose flour. It's a very small amount. And it, it's better, to, of course, to use a scale for that so you're consistent. Um, but uh, if you can't find it on the shelf at your grocery store, go to your closest hippie co-op and they'll have it in the bulk section. So having said all that about gluten, is it really possible to make a gluten-free bagel? It is, especially if you have a good friend who's a pastry chef who developed a gluten sensitivity and then learned how to use all the specialty flours and sort of unusual products that um, have come to the home cook market that we can get and combine to build something that represents gluten in a gluten-free bagel. It's different, but it is reminiscent and it does have the chew, the crackle and the scent of a true bagel. So I believe my gluten-free bagel recipe is kind of life-changing. It should be pointed out that the reason that there aren't many gluten-free bagels out there is that if you have a bagel bakery and you're baking thousands of bagels every day, the likelihood of being able to create a dough that is gluten-free with all that flour flying around in the air is very low. So if you want a glu good gluten-free bagel, my book, The Recipe at Home. I mean, we can't fool ourselves that this is a super easy thing, even though it's an amazing thing to have a homemade bagel. But you do make the process a little bit easier. You have refrigerator proofing, which makes it a little more foolproof. Tell me about it. Yes, that's one part. Also, the stand mixer. Let's not lie that the dough for a bagel is so strong that you need to either commit to it as your daily workout or have a stand mixer. And then it's only five ingredients. But the overnight refrigerator proofing is critical. And the way, the reason is that a bagel, that high protein flour and the malt syrup or malt powder, which is sugary, just feeds the yeast. And so as soon as you put that together, it just wants to expand and blow up into this beautiful bagel, which you could do in about an hour, but it would have the flattest, most boring taste ever. And so it needs a nice slow time to develop into the bagel it wants to be. And that takes somewhere between eight and 14 hours of refrigerator proofing before the morning boiling and baking. So I have it worked out. It's about 20 minutes to mix it in the evening, mix up my bagel dough and form them, pop them in the fridge, 11 hours of quiet time, and then in about an hour in the morning, but you're not active that whole time. Some of that is just heating the oven, boiling the water, during which time you can feed the dogs and make your coffee, have a shower, 
it all works out. Well, I made your pumpernickel bagels for dinner and I got up early and got the dough in the fridge and I gave it about 10 hours during the day in the uh-huh. fridge, and they were perfect. And we had hot bagels with locks for dinner, but we have a running argument in our house. And that is the fact that I love cinnamon raisin bagels and my husband, the Goy thinks they're a Shonda, which for those listening means he's not Jewish and he thinks it's shameful. So I was thrilled to see your recipe for my favorite bagel. But you also offer up blueberry bagels and Asiago cheese and pepperoni bagels. So now I have to ask you, how do you top those? Because I can't imagine herring on a blueberry bagel. That's very true. Um, first, I have to say that I, I titled that portion of the book, Bagels My Grandmother Wouldn't Recognize. And there was part of me that had to make like a little... Uh, offering to the spirit of my grandmother and say, I'm so sorry. I know that you would be horrified by this, but what's a bagel book with only two recipes, right? You need more. Um, the cinnamon raisin bagel, I think has entered the bagel canon. I don't think that we can deny that that exists. The same with an egg bagel and a marble bagel. I put my foot down at rainbow bagels because that's just coloring and not flavor. I have nothing to do with that. Um, I like the spirit of it, but I don't like the actual appearance. Um, The rest of the bagels, the blueberry, the Asiago, the hatch chili, the granola bagel. I mean, they're all just ways to think about bagels, uh, mostly for me as a sandwich opportunity. But I would say that on the blueberry bagel, almond butter is really good. It's delicious. Um, on the Asiago cheese and pepperoni bagel, if that doesn't become a pizza bagel, I don't know what you're doing. I, I mean, it's just made for it. A little bit of tomato, a little bit of mozzarella cheese right into the toaster oven. And there's lunch. Can you finally clear up for a lot of people the difference between smoked salmon and lox? Absolutely. Lox is cured. It is not smoked. So like gravlax, which is the Swedish version, you know, you are putting salt and sugar on a beautiful piece of salmon, especially one that's got lots of white lines of fat because that's what keeps it moist. And in about three days, wrapped up with that salt and sugar, flipped over every 12, 24 hours, weighted, what you have is salmon that has exuded a lot of its natural water, taken up the salt and the sugar and developed into this salty, sweet, beautiful thing we call lox. That's what makes the silky texture. Now, if you want a smoked salmon, you're also going to cure that salmon first. So it needs a little bit of a brine a dry brine, just salt. And then you move it into one of two categories, cold smoking or hot smoking. A lot of what we see is cold smoked salmon and that's sliced in the same way as what I call lox, but it's got that smoky tinge to the flavor. And then hot smoked salmon, which is in delis, it's sometimes called kippered salmon, is flaky and very smoky. So. There you go. And finally, I do love a bagel sandwich, but the ratio of bread to filling can be overwhelming. What's the secret behind a better bagel sandwich? There are a couple of things that are really necessary. First, nobody likes to bite into a bagel sandwich and have the back half of it drop into your lap, which 
it, you know, it's a, but bagel is firm, unlike bread, which is squishy. So I like to scoop the bagel. It's the only instance in which I scoop. And then I like to put the wet toppings, if you will, mayonnaise, mustard, smushy things, guacamole into the um, scooped out area. And then carefully layer. If you put cheese next to the squishy and then you put your tomato and then you put your meat or something and then you put your bagel on top, everything is going to hold better. Don't put the tomato too close to the squishy stuff or it's a mess. I think your book is going to convert a lot of people to bagel makers, if not just bagel lovers. Kathy Barrow, her new book is Bagel Schmears and a Nice Piece of Fish. Great good luck with the book, and thank you for sharing some expertise with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, I guess that I'm going to have bagels in my life. Eh? Mm-hmm. I, I I'm think, making pumpernickel bagels this weekend. I think that, well, I I am wholeheartedly in favor of the pumpernickel bagel. When I was a kid, we used to go to this restaurant in Dallas called Bovarian Steakhouse, and it was spelled B-O. I think think if i'm you know as an adult i think it was a play on bovine yeah. and bavarian but as a kid i didn't know that i just thought it was misspelled <laughs> bovarian steakhouse and they always served pumpernickel rolls mm. with their steaks and we would always ask for extra pumpernickel rolls oh, so right before the check came to take them home like my no, grandmother did no we did not uh, do it like a grandmother we'd did. go to ratner's ate, and right before the check came she goes bring me more onion rolls no they go right in the purse no the goy don't do such things <laughs> But we would eat them right at the table, and uh, we would ask for, you know, they would bring uh, various rolls, you know, whole wheat and plain and pumpernickel, and we would just go, no, take that back and bring all pumpernickel because that's (laughs) all we wanted. Can't wait for the pumpernickel bagels. Okay, our final segment. What's making us happy in food this week, which we always do, and I'm going to go first. Okay. What's making me happy in food this week is Worcestershire sauce, and uh, I want to tell you that I make my own. Uh, You probably know by this point that Bruce is the chef in our duo, and I'm the writer, and I don't cook a lot. Um, I write a lot about cooking and write a lot about Bruce's cooking, but I don't cook a lot. But one of the things I do make in this world is Worcestershire sauce. You can find that video on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And let me tell you, last week we had a friend move away, move to South Carolina. He's getting older. He wanted to move to be closer to his children. And he moved down to South Carolina and we had a going away party for him. And Bruce grilled, I don't know, 12 strip steaks for Mm. this big gathering of people. And what Bruce did is he put them all in a giant baking dish and then drizzled them with my Worcestershire sauce, sat them in the refrigerator all day, and then grilled them. And they were so tasty. Mm -hmm. That Worcestershire sauce makes things so tasty. If you're used to the bottled stuff, you don't know what you're missing. You really don't know. Mm -hmm. And now is the time to make it because it has to age for a few months in your refrigerator. I sometimes let mine go three months. You do. I do. And you might have holiday gifts in your future to give to friends if you make this Worcestershire sauce. Check it out on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Okay, what's making you happy? What's making me happy is something that could go with your Worcestershire sauce, Mm. and that is yucca fries. I actually hadn't (laughs) had yucca fries in a long time. Wow. Mark and I went to this Peruvian restaurant in West Hartford that the New York Times had written up. We went with a couple of pianist friends. We made this trek to West Hartford, Connecticut because this place, listen, foodies will 
will go a long way mm-hmm. to do a lot of things. And we made this trek to West Hartford in order to eat at this brewing restaurant that had got a New York Times review. And I had fried fish with yucca fries, and they were so delicious. And I wish I'd brought a jar of your Worcestershire to drizzle on them. But we had such a fun time with our friends. We laughed like hyenas. We were allowed his table in the restaurant. We, we stayed forever. We talked and about music and music and music because these are two pianists. One, a professor of piano, and the other, a grad student in piano. So, of course, it was just all conversations about piano and music and the various choral fails we had all endured <laughs> in our lives, <laughs> having sung in way too many choirs in my but life. But the yucca fries were not a fail. They were absolutely delicious, and I loved them. Uh, yeah, and this place, Cora Cora, right, in mm-hmm. West Hartford, it was kind of amazing. And I have to tell you this, ceviche comes in one of those giant old-fashioned glass beer goblets. Remember those when you are a kid, the beer goblets, the, the giant globe on a stem? That's how the ceviche came, a giant globe on a stem. It was all kind of amazing at Cora Cora. Okay, that's our podcast this week. It's all about mayonnaise and a little bit about Peruvian food and a lot about bagels. I don't think you put mayonnaise on bagels generally. Whitefish salad cannot be made without mayonnaise. Well, see, there you go. Again, what is this thing that Jews don't eat mayonnaise? Well, who said that? Well, Woody Allen. But you what say it. No, my yeah. friend. I, this Jew doesn't eat mayonnaise, but other Jews eat mayonnaise. I see. So, in other words, just call me out on my anti-Semitism <laughs> on a podcast episode. It's fine. All right. So, come back next week. We got another podcast up in the works. Subscribe, rate. You know all the stuff that you can do to help us. That would be appreciated. We're glad you're here with us. Thanks for being with us and being our friends on this journey. And we will see you next time on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.